RCR with Paul Brennan, Reality Check Radio. I want to welcome Captain Kevin Judkin to Reality Check Radio. And Captain Judkin is with us because of the seafarers who were working internationally back during COVID, remember that, MIQ and all that, who were not classed as essential workers and therefore were not granted MIQ spots to return home from delivering goods overseas. And this meant many seafarers were stuck at sea during the lockdowns, which was, yeah, I think this is correct, not widely known at the time or well reported. Anyway, we're sort of playing a bit of catch up here. So Captain Judkin, welcome to Reality Check Radio. Thanks for coming on. Thank you, Peter. Appreciate your time. Look, look, look forward to having a chat. Okay, so first of all, um, Captain, so you've obviously been captain of ships. How long have you been at sea, and where are you, are you at at the moment, or, or are you not at sea anymore? I, I went to sea in 1977 as, a, as an apprentice with uh, Union Steamship Company, who, who were a big New Zealand company at that time. They, they no longer exist anymore. Uh, and I, I got experience on all their roll-on, roll-off container ships, their oil tankers, their bulk carriers, their general cargo ships. I had a good, good apprenticeship, good grounding. I've had uh, lots of experience on, on oil tankers um, and, and um, dive construction ships in the, in the oil, oil exploration industry. Uh, I was involved in the Rena Salvage. I wrote, wrote a book on my experiences on the, on the Rena Salvage. Well, that was off um, Tauranga, Mount Maunganui, right? That, that's, that's, that's correct. I, I took a lot of photos there and, and I donated uh, a significant amount of those photos to a documentary maker who's making a, a documentary called Taking Back Our Beaches. And that's due to be, uh, due to be launched on the uh, 12th anniversary of the, of the Rena grounding. That's on the 5th of October this year. So oh wow! Okay. Documentary. So, what's it like for those who don't know? That's most of us being the captain of a ship. What's that like? Obviously, quite a responsibility. It, it is. There are times it's very lonely. There, there there's a, an awful lot of responsibility, especially when you're going into. Um, I use the term foreign ports, but but third world ports where there's uh, um, a backsheesh is a is a is a way of life. That's a, a backhander for of cigarettes or Johnny Walker or or anything that they can get their hands on. Um, and also the, the um, uh, official one, like like a dozen copies of every piece of paper. Um, yeah. you, get, you get used to it, and and um, it's just a, it's just a, a way of life. But it's always relaxing to to leave places like that and and uh, um, come to civilized places such as Singapore or, or Australia, where where you know the rules and and there's no um, there's no graft or corruption. It's uh, always a always a nice a nice thought. You must have seen some weather in your time. I have indeed. When I was a young man in the in the Pacific uh, in the in the early eighties, that's uh, prior to uh, GPS navigation and and prior to good satellite uh, weather coverage. We we got caught in a couple of cyclones uh, in the Coral Sea, um, just to the south uh, to the southwest of Fiji, at um, twenty meter swells. And I, I remember going up one and 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 sliding down the trough and and looking up at the next um, yeah. at the top of the crest of the next swell and thinking, wow. But we're on an oil tanker, and contrary to a lot of beliefs, uh, an oil tanker is a safe vessel be on in, in bad weather, especially a small one, because all the oil tanks are watertight compartments. So uh, oil tankers never sink. Sometimes they break in half, but they never sink. So uh, yeah, I've uh, seen that. I've seen footage of that. Ever seen a rogue wave? There, there, there's no, I haven't. There's only one real place in the world where there's rogue waves, and that's off the coast of uh, of southern Africa. The rest of it, when when people use the term rogue waves, it, it, it's uh, it's an anomaly. That, or it's an expression that they like to use to capture the thought that there's a that there's a big wave out there. Um, the, the weather forecast would say every every um, there is a pattern of bigger waves, and I've seen that uh, that about every uh, every third cycle of third cycle that the waves is, a, is another third bigger than big swells. But uh, when, when 
when you read these uh, articles that a ship was swamped or, or a boat was swamped, uh, like like this one off Northland uh, last year where the, the court case is ongoing, there's no such thing as a, as a rogue wave around New Zealand. They're very, very predictable. It's just uh, a, a poor seamanship uh, with respect to the, the way the ship is uh, facing the weather at that particular time that um, heavy weather strikes. Okay, so obviously um, without shipping, we don't have goods. We don't have exports. We don't have imports. You'd think that the people who operated um, that supply chain, let's call it, would be essential. That, that, that's correct. And the, the IMO, the International Maritime Organization, they did classify um, uh, seafarers as essential workers. And uh, Maritime New Zealand, the previous director of Maritime New Zealand, Keith Marsh, uh, he, he wrote to the IMO on the, uh, the 15th of September 2020 saying that New Zealand did recognise uh, uh, seafarers as key workers. And uh, in, uh, in December 2020, the IMO released a media a statement uh, saying that New Zealand was uh, one of the countries that did uh, recognise seafarers as key workers. And specific to that uh, key worker well, was that uh, there would be they would allow a repatriation of personnel, seafaring personnel, to join and leave vessels and for repatriation home to their home port on completion of their contracts. Uh, so that was from the director of Maritime New Zealand and IMO. However, the uh, then the, the new director came in and they gave contrary advice to the government, uh, to MBIE, and that was promulgated through to Minister Hipkins, who was uh, head of um, COVID response. And so uh, going on the advice from MBIE, uh, based on Maritime New Zealand's advice, uh, seafarers who paid off in a foreign port, that is New Zealand seafarers who paid off in a foreign port, were not given any priority um, access to what's called the maritime allocation. Uh, maritime New Zealand and MBIE created uh, this maritime allocation uh, in MIQ for uh, to allow seafarers to pay off a ship in New Zealand and fly out or to join a ship in New Zealand after flying in, but they did not make allowances for, sea for New Zealand seafarers who, who had paid off their ship, signed off their ship in a foreign port. Which is a regular thing, right? I mean, that's what it happens all the time. Absolutely. It for years. Absolutely. Right? Uh, and on my database, uh, I, I become involved in a, with a group, an organisation of uh, of seafarers who've been adversely affected. And I had 400 personnel on my database, and and of that database, of that 400, uh, probably 350 of them were working internationally. Which uh, there was more New Zealanders, New Zealand seafarers working internationally than there are working on the New Zealand coast. There's just simply not the jobs on the New Zealand coast to to support. Um, that, that number of people. So, so over three quarters of the of my database were personnel that were working internationally. They would fly overseas to join a ship. Then their, their ship would would travel around from all around the world, whatever. And then they would sign off in a foreign port, but they would never come to New Zealand. So they were not allowed access to the maritime allocation of MIQ because they did because they did not sign off their ship in New Zealand. Even though they were New Zealanders and had Even a fundamental right to that, enter that, their country, that, that's correct. So, so MBIE uh, gave priority to uh, Ukrainians, Russians, Filipinos, uh, Pacific Islanders, and and I'm not begrudging them the the access to the country to join or leave their ships. I'm not begrudging them. That but but at all. why would they have done that? Why would they have preferenced those nationalities or those groups of seafarers and not their own? 
there, the, the New Zealand version of the Maritime Labour Convention, which, which covers uh, uh, the responsibility of treatment of seafarers, uh, is not compliant with the international version of the Maritime Labour Convention. Oh. They, they, uh, they. If you just bear, bear with me, I, I will, sure. I will bring the, I'll bring the quote out. So that the Maritime Labour Convention uh, states in a, in a guideline. Um, uh, initially, it, it states that um, uh, considering the global nature of the shipping industries, seafarers need special protection. And we, we're quite au fait with that. That's quite clear. And in, in Section B2, which is a guideline for implementation, it's every possible practical assistance should be given to a seafarer stranded in a foreign port pending repatriation. Now, New Zealand signed up to this. Uh, they're very much aware of that, but they uh, said, oh, this is just a guideline. We don't have to apply that. Our Maritime Labour Convention regulation only applies to New Zealand flagships or ships that are in New Zealand. Okay. Here's what I've been wondering while you've been talking, going back to an earlier thing you, you said just a moment or two ago. How come the differing advice? You've got one head of Maritime New Zealand saying one thing in advice, and then someone else comes in and they're saying something different. How does that work? You, you would you would have to ask Maritime New Zealand that because uh, I, I'm gobsmacked by that as well. Well, it sounds so, like just an opinion, an opinion of a particular person rather than any sort of nailed down approach or policy. That 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 that's correct. I uh, I had uh, numerous correspondence with uh, various personnel in Maritime New Zealand, and um, I'm not on their Christmas card list. I can assure you of that. <laughs> okay. Um, and they, they uh, well, one personnel advised me that they had received legal advice that that their interpretation was correct. Um, although uh, in, then they, they promulgated that legal advice through to um, MBIE. However, when I made an application under the Official Information Act to, uh, to access the legal advice that Maritime New Zealand were given uh, under the Official Information Act, I was, was told that uh, we cannot give you this information because no such information exists. Okay, so where's the legal opinion then? Does it that, that, there, there is no legal opinion? Fantasy was it or a, a fantasy? Yes, that's correct. Yeah. Okay, well that's handy to know. So okay, um, the MIQ system comes into being and it's operated, isn't it, by MB? And um, from what I've seen and reading before um, talking with you, is that they kind of re were in a situation of trying to scramble all this together. Is is that a, a fair enough impression? Yeah, yes, I think that's fair enough impression that they they weren't really prepared for for the whole um, uh, operation of, of quarantine, and and I, I guess under the circumstances initially they did a, a relatively good job in a short time. So I'm I'm not criticising their initial response, uh, but the, the later on they failed to fine tune it to take um to take. Uh, uh, to, to amend the, the the rights that had been wronged and, and the, the oversights that they'd made. So, in, so they in, didn't in, update on new information, basically. That's, that's correct, yes. Seems to be a, a bit of a pattern there as well. So what ended up happening and how did you become engaged in this to the level of passion that you've had? Uh, I, I signed off my uh, uh, an oil rig that I was on in uh, Labuan, which is in uh, Borneo, Malaysia, and uh, I, I uh, spent uh, ten days in quarantine in, in Labuan. Then I had to wait uh, another seven days till my my lotto ticket came up, where I'd uh, I booked uh, for the seventh of January, I think. And then I spent two weeks in quarantine in New Zealand. Uh, so I got home in, in um, late January 2020. 
and I essentially was unemployed, un- unemployable because no, uh, no no international shipping company was going to employ a New Zealander if there was this this uncertainty about when they could get off, uh, could get home, and obviously then the ship owner was uh, was liable for for wages and for payment of MIQ fees. So it's not just me; there, there were hundreds of New Zealand seafarers that were uh, stuck in New Zealand, unemployed, unemployable, and there were were equally as many stuck overseas, unemployed that couldn't get home because they uh, either couldn't get off the ship or they were um, uh, uh, in, a, in a country uh, and, and they just could, could not get home. If, if they were issued a, a, like a Schengen visa, if they paid off in Europe, then they had a tourist visa uh, issued to them. So they, there was no emergency. So they couldn't get any emergency allocation. So they were just stuck uh, as an unwanted tourist in an in a unwanted right, country. Right, but at least they could bide their time and tread water <laughs> that, 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 that's uh, for correct. a period of time. So I was given, I was um, put in contact with a group called um, a professional um, professional seafarers. There's a group, a very very loose affiliation of of, of seafaring, uh, mainly ships officers at that stage, and and um, some of them got work and some of them didn't, and and I somehow assumed the mantle of being spokesman and being a, a recording the keeping up the database, and uh, and um, I'm I'm pretty good on my um, uh, on. The, emails and, and and writing letters and as I was an author I, I knew how to structure things had some good contacts so I, I became the spokesman and the point man to to stir up maritime New Zealand and the IMO and my local politician every politician every I tried to push every button I could try to get our uh, our case highlighted through the media at, at various um, uh, points that I could and and some personnel in the media were, were very good but uh, it was only a flash in a pla- flash in the pan. And yep. um, yeah, today's news is uh, is um, is tomorrow's fish and chip wrapper. So uh, it's uh, it, it, we we couldn't get a consistent focus pressure point to maintain uh, uh, the pressure on the government. Well, was there interest in your story or the bigger story, or do you think it was omitted because a lot of aspects of of the struggles that people had were completely omitted? They weren't reported. Uh, yes, there was. A, I mean, there's, a, there's a yes and no to that. Um, I, I take my hat off. I, I kept in contact with um, uh, Katie Todd, a Radio New Zealand. She interviewed me a couple of times. She did a couple of, of good articles, uh, and mm-hmm. uh, uh, a couple of other people did single single issue articles. Um, the the um, Rod Vaughan was very supportive, and um, also um, Ian McIntyre of the Shipping Gazette was very supportive. Um, likewise, probably the most supportive would be uh, Keith Ingram of the Professional Skipper. He's the editor of Professional Skipper, and he's asked me to write three specific articles on that, which uh, the third one is uh, is about to be published um, in the in the coming weeks. So I, I've tried to keep the the our, our, our case to the fore, um, but it, it's uh, in in the news cycle uh, it, it can be easily overwhelmed uh, in respect to say that the Ombudsman's finding that was released on the same day that um, Stuart Nash was sacked. So uh, the, the media were more interested in the sacking of Stuart Nash than the ombudsman's finding uh, on the seafarers' complaint. Okay, well, we'll talk about that um, that report in just a moment. Um, so you couldn't work, even if you wanted to, you weren't able to take up any opportunities because you were just too much of a headache for any offshore operator because of the inability, let's say, of of you to repatriate in in the timeframes that apart from the, you know, first world countries, let's say, um, that were available after, as you say, paying off a ship. So you only have a matter of days, right? 
That, 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 is, that is correct. But basically, um, and not just myself, there were, there were hundreds of us who were un, unemployed, unemployable. Um, and I got, um, so, so they took your jobs away by doing that? That, that's correct. And and they took away the tax take as well. So so um, we're all taxpayers in New Zealand or, or the country of origin where where, our, uh, where the ship is working. Um, so I, I did a feasibility study and, and uh, a significant ta- tax loss uh, by, by uh, make, leaving us unemployed. And of course, we weren't available uh, eligible for any unemployment benefit or any um, uh, COVID uh, subsidi- subsidiary payment because uh, those payments were made to the employers and the employers had to be New Zealand-based employers. So we got absolutely nothing no handout no it was it was disgraceful i'd be a bit angry about that if i was you but that's just me because don't screw with my job yes ab- absolutely and, and You've been doing was, it all uh, your life come on yeah and and that was that was uh, uh, the, even the wording that mbi used mbie used to to deny us uh, 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 repatriation was that uh, they that we volunteer voluntarily go overseas for work and and uh, it, it was uh, what planet of, what kevin what planet are these people on i don't know i don't know uh, uh, it's uh, it's just bureaucracy gone mad yeah i'm sitting here doing this earning money because i'm volunteering really yes yes you leave the country. The wording, the specific wording, was who choose to leave the country voluntarily to go to work. Uh, when I had a meeting with them, I said, "Hey, take that word out. You don't choose to leave your home voluntarily in Johnsonville to take the train to go into Wellington to sit in your office. Uh, you can work from home if you like. Being a seafarer, I can't work from home." <laughs> well, it, it's all about the language of minimization. Absolutely, absolutely, yeah. I mean, they're only, you know, volunteering to go. Come on, it's they're living a life of what luxury. Yeah, <laughs> yeah right. Okay. So um, what have you made of the, and, and like I say, we'll get to that ombudsman's report because it'd be relevant and kind of what I'm going to ask you now. What is your overall impression of the attitude of the bureaucrats you've had to deal with along the way here? Absolutely appalling and out of out of touch. Uh, I take, for instance, my local MP. I made an appointment to see her. That's Willow Jean Prime, and she was quite interested for a start. But when she became a, when I made aware that uh, a complaint had been lodged with the ombudsman, you could see her the, her face change and just uh, a big yawn come across. Her, well, I'm not interested in this anymore. It's in the ombudsman's hand, so I'll do nothing. So uh, that was dead. And um, I've got uh, here. I'll just read. Re- read out a letter from Chris Hipkins, who was sure. the Minister of, of COVID Response. Now the Prime Minister. So now the Prime let's Minister. Not, let's not yes. forget that. All right. Yes, that's, that's it. Yeah. Uh, uh, he said, um, there is no legal requirement for New Zealand to facilitate crew changes on non-New Zealand flag vessels outside of our territory. We are, however, fulfilling our legal obligation by facilitating movements for those that fly the New Zealand flag or for the repatriation of seafarers on foreign ships that are in New Zealand. Yeah, uh, and there's this. Uh, um, at this stage, uh, at this time, creating a specific allocation for rooms only available to seafarers, in addition to the existing maritime allocation, is not practical, as it would be difficult to forecast numbers returning week by week, and this would result in more rooms being empty than would have been available for other returnees. Well, and boo-hoo! This is absolute bollocks! Boo-hoo to him! Go have yeah. a cry in the corner. Oh, he's well, depriving a village of its idiot. Uh, okay, so it sounds like there was some virtue signaling going. So to the international community, we're doing the right thing. But to our own people, we're screwing them. Absolutely. You've nailed it in one there. Perfect uh, perfect analogy, yes. Why would you, if you're a patriotic New Zealander, why would you do that? 
I have no idea. You you, you would have to uh, ask them that. Uh, and I, I've used we discussed it earlier, and I, I used the the, the word um, banality of evil in that uh, there was this. Uh, slowly creeping to following orders, simply following orders, and uh, not not realizing that that the orders that they were following were, were leading them down a, a treacherous path that was, uh, uh, in in a worst case, as representative of Nazi Germany. Yeah, well, it's that lack of caring, that banal attitude that is it keeps coming up all the time. That's why I'm always highlighting it because I hear it over and over again from every sector that we've talked to. It is the common thread. Actually. Yes, and we get and we get our leader all the time smiling at the end of her, her, uh, her public addresses and saying, "Be kind." And and uh, you know, for that, I could wear that once or twice, but but uh, after that, I just turned. I just wasn't interested. In I it. couldn't wear it the first time. Oh, I've got yeah, to say, because okay. because you can feel it when it's not genuine. You can yeah. feel it. Yeah. Okay, so what have you done then in that time? And let's get to that ombudsman's report. But we're going to do things in the right order. Um, you've mentioned OIA uh, attempts, et cetera. Um, how did you uh, bring this to the ombudsman's attention? And he seems to have done, I think it's a he, the chief ombudsman's done quite a thorough job, though within a specific range of investigation. So take it from there. Okay, thank you. Yeah, um, I make it clear, I was, not in, I, I was not involved in lodging the complaint to the ombudsman. I know one of the personnel that were, but I'm not in, aware of the name of the second person right. uh, that, that, that lodged the complaint. I, I was just, if you like, I was a, a, a coordinator, a facilitator, just, just trying to push things along and get everybody, collate everybody on the same page. Gotcha. Um, so the, the, one of the, the person that I know that, that lodged the complaint, um, he, he was captain on a ship and he was running in and out of... Uh, uh, Yangon, uh, Rangoon, Burma, uh, during during the uprising there in uh, I think it was um, early 2021, yep. and uh, he was scheduled to to sign off a ship and and couldn't they 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 wouldn't give him emergency allocation even though yeah there was a time of civil unrest in the country so he had to stay on a ship for another two or three months and and it it, it just shattered the man he's just a, a, a He's not the same person that he once was. Is that the guy suffering from like PTSD? That's that's the one. That's the um, one. Uh, yeah, uh, he's uh, um, there's, there's two people I know suffering from PTSD, but he he, he is one of them. And an ironic statement. He's also the captain of the of the tugboat, the Scandi Emerald, that towed the the shilling into Wellington. So he was dealing with Maritime <laughs> New Zealand and MBIE. Wow. So he gave them a piece of his mind. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, um, so they were happy to have a New Zealand citizen uh, vulnerable in a place of civil unrest and couldn't even give him a break on that. That's correct. That's absolutely correct. And yet of all the people, of all the cases that I read about, his was the most worthy of, of emergency repatriation, and they wouldn't even give him that. So he had to stay on for another two, two and a half months and uh, took the ship down to, I think, uh, Batam in, in uh, Indonesia. Uh, and, and overall, uh, my understanding is he had originally joined the ship with the intent of going away for three months, and he did a total of nearly six months. The last three months just, just totally shattered the man, um, and yep. uh, it was uh, terrible. Makes you wonder how um, entertainers and performers sort of came and went during oh, that time. Yeah. Oh, 
<laughs> oh, we. If I could have got a hold of a wiggle, I would have made him wiggle. All right, yeah. That's, uh, <laughs> yeah. It was absolutely disgraceful that that uh, that the wiggles and and DJs or anything got got priority treatment. And even even towards the end, uh, the government made a special uh, uh, avenue for professional sports people. Now that's all very well. They said they're representing New Zealand. Well, actually, no, they weren't. They're professional. They are business people. They play sport for money. That is their job. Uh, so they made a special uh, avenue for them. Well, well, that's um, the bread and circus part of it. You got to keep the, you know, the um, great unwashed entertained. Otherwise, they might get grumpy. Absolutely, you you you've nailed it in one again. And yet, yet seafarers were the only only uh, category of person that has specific law, international law, designed to protect them. And uh, and this this law was ignored. Well, what, well, did uh, the, what, what what did the ombudsman have to say? The ombudsman, I, I, it took him a long, long time. It, he, he actually, uh, he had prepared his draft report in April of last year, uh, and then he sat on that draft report for, for a year. Why? Uh, uh, his excuse was to give the affected parties time to respond to, to his findings, which, which I accept to a point. However, what it did, well, we, uh, I, under the Official Information Act, I made an, a request to find his, uh, have access to his draft findings, but that was denied. Apparently, uh, ombudsman's uh, findings are beyond the scope of the Official Information Act. That's handy. Yeah, yeah. So it's, uh, um, so I don't, I don't know what the original draft was. I don't know how doctored the the final document was but however having said that the, the final document was thorough and and came down very firmly on the side of the seafarers and against MBIE and the vice that had been promulgated to them by Maritime New Zealand yeah why would it have taken so long how long does it take to read over a document have a couple of meetings and and decide um, you know uh, what the final report will be unless you know that what's in it is potentially damaging to you and you want to massage as much out of, of that out of it as possible. Go, that was exactly my thoughts. Yes. Uh, you know, the uh, the complainant, uh, he he wrote to the ombudsman three or four times after the ombudsman announced his, uh, that he'd completed his draft review. Uh, and they said, oh, we're still waiting for a response from MBIE. Um, so in effect, yeah, MBIE had a, a year. They had input to massage the final report and they had a year also then to to draft their response to, to that report. I want to get to that response. Um, because I've read some of the quotes from it in the brief that I have um, sort of uh, skimming over the Ombudsman's report. After a year of considering it, what were those responses? The responses from 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 MBIE were the uh, apology. Um, we we apologise for any hurt this may have caused. May, may. May, the, may have caused. Oh, wow. Yeah, just the PTSD and the, you know, the not seeing your wife for five months. Yeah. Uh, or your I, kids. I got- I got um, many phone calls and emails from distraught wives and mothers and partners uh, and everything, and uh, it was heartbreaking. There, there was one lady uh, who was uh, a nervous breakdown. She was a nervous woman at the best of times, but she depended on her partner uh, both financially and emotionally, and he, he was overseas, and, and, and she was a wreck, and uh, there was nothing I could do. And uh, I'm, I'm not a naturally empathetic person, but but my heart went out to her, a, a poor woman, and she was not alone. There, there were dozens and dozens of uh, um, mainly female partners left at home that uh, that um, just were distraught. Is that at what's end? 
You haven't been following the leader's orders, Kevin, on empathy. <laughs> <laughs> What's wrong with you? Yeah, yeah. If only they practice what they pay, preach. Kindness yeah. and empathy. Where have you been? Yeah. Okay, so may have. May have. Uh, now, this, so- this, the lady that drafted this, um, she's um, a chair of the, uh, no, no, I might be wrong here. She's got something to do with the University of Wellington, and she's an ex-HR manager of Air oh, New Zealand, here we I go. understand. Here we go. And I thought, wow, for a, a woman of your stature to come up with, with a word soup as poor as that is an absolute disgrace. No, that's to- their business, Kevin, to come up with word soups. That's their business. That's their core skill. Yeah. Seriously, it was a mouthful of maggots. It was disgraceful. Is that a con- uh, like a contracted out thing or is that an employee? Or No, that is that is the top dog. That is um, uh, 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 Claire Trevet, I, I think the All lady's right. name is. Oh, yes. Top- I think she's a... She might have a journalistic background. She, yes, she, she's supposedly an, an intelligent, well-educated woman, but you, you wouldn't believe that reading that document. Knows a lot about business, right? Yeah, yeah. So that was a minimizing word, and that comes under that banality of evil title, doesn't it? Absolutely, absolutely. It was disgraceful. It was a disgraceful apology. And uh, in, in a, an article I, I penned, I, I used an analogy that that was a, uh, a, a, forced, a, a forced apology from a truculent schoolyard bully who'd been caught beating up a five-year-old yeah, child. Yeah, that's what bullies do. Yeah, yeah. I'm still trying to work out how someone from that background could end up running a department or, or being so senior in a department like that, unless, I, I unless you can rely on that sort of uh, person to say the right things. There, there is a theory I have, and, and it, it's for uh, uh, equity at the table, um, a sexual balance at the table. So the, the, uh, I, I know one more prime example um, where personnel are put at the head of the table uh, to balance the, the, the sex of, uh, of the, uh, the number of CEOs that are female. Um, and uh, so the person that gets the job is not necessarily the best person for the job, but they might be the best female for the job. Yeah, also, like I say, um, when it comes to uh, minimization of, um, how would you say, of expressing, let's say, an institution's opinion or view, um, it's handy to have journalist slash PR experience in that because in, in the end, it's all about the message. Forget about everything else. It's, it's what comes, this is just my personal view, from experience. It's how the message is handled, and that person will be considered a safe pair of hands. In, in that role Absolutely for that reason. Correct. Yes. Anyway, I might be minimizing the skill base there, but uh, it does seem to be a pattern. Okay, so what is the ombudsman actually, uh, are there any bullet point recommendations that you can tell us about that sort of nail it right down? And then are you expecting, you probably won't get more than an apology than, than the one you've got, but I mean, your career has been affected, right? Uh, that, that, that's that's correct. My, my my career was affected, put put on hold, and and uh, how much did you I, lose? How much did you lose? I, I lost. I lost a year's salary. My my my, my salary, offshore salary, is about two hundred thousand dollars. So okay. so that was uh, that's before tax. Um, so so I lost a disposable income of say one hundred and twenty thousand dollars, and the government lost an income of eighty thousand dollars in taxation. Yeah. 
and I, I wasn't entitled to any uh, uh, um, social welfare. So I, I'm, I'm relatively well off compared to a lot of people. So I, I lived on my savings for that year and, and waited for um, the, I knew that the borders would open eventually. They would have to. Here's the thing, though, Kevin. It was all for nothing. Absolutely, absolutely. Towards the end, when when the the, uh, the lockdowns were going on and on for for, for for no no real apparent reason, I found myself uh, cheering for Brian Tamaki. Come on, Reverend Tamaki, you spread that disease far and wide around New Zealand because the sooner it gets around New Zealand, the the, the sooner these borders are going to open and these restrictions will end. So uh, every restriction failed. The vaccine failed. MIQ failed. It all failed. It's an epic fail. I, I wouldn't quite go for that far. I'd say initially it did succeed in delaying getting it. To, no, no, to but the that was never going to be a thing. No, never, never going to be a, a long-term solution, which they were banking on. But it was a, it was a, a, a hold fast, a stopgap measure that that went on uh, that should have gone on for six weeks, but it went on for for a year, and it was it was disgraceful. It was too useful. Yes, yes, it was. And and uh, what what concerned me most is, is that is that how. Easily, we gave up our our, yeah. our our rights to to just do everything no, normally, uh, and so we acquiesced. We, we the big brother has spoken, and we 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 mildly and placidly uh, uh, complied. And I was gobsmacked. Uh, I really, really was. What does that tell you about Kiwis? I, I, it, it surprised me. It, it means we, we're gullible. We, we're compliant. Uh, we're we're far more law abiding than I than I would have thought. What about weak? Weak, weak. Yes, that's a good word as well. Yeah, it, it was, uh, it was hmm. oh, gobsmacking. I mean, apart from feeling vindicated, I don't know if you are. I, I haven't asked you, but maybe you are, maybe you're not. Is, is there anything? What, what happens with uh, Maritime New Zealand? Because, again, um, it seems that there has been a very weak representation in these matters by multiple um, employee representative groups and unions. Um you know, they've failed at their core task in so many areas. And um, can they, do you think in your sector anyway, that, that they can come back with any sort of credibility? Maybe over I, time, I, I don't know. I, I really don't think so. I, I really don't think so. The, the, the current head of Maritime New Zealand had the opportunity to uh, uh, fall on a sword. She, she had the opportunity to uh, um, do a mea culpa and say, listen, we're giving you bad advice and we'd like to, to uh, amend that advice. But she failed to do that. And in um, correspondence to me, she, she said uh, that they've uh, been more than happy to assist with any advice and support that might help us find a workable solution and re-raise these issues. This is in correspondence that she'd uh, had with uh, the government, uh, MBIE. And I gave, her, I gave her a serving and said, you know, happy to assist is not legally binding. It, it, it's, uh, and it's, it's weak. Uh, it's weak. Uh, it's weak. It was absolutely, a, it was a mouthful of maggots. It was a disgrace. <laughs> so, uh, um, who is that person, by the way, that you, you're speaking of? Uh, that's Kirsty Hewlett, the current director of Maritime New Zealand. Has she ever been on a ship? No, no, she's, uh, I'm not sure if she's a, 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 a bathtub bosun or an armchair admiral or, or somewhere <laughs> below that. But uh, to my knowledge, she's had uh, no uh, uh, a real nautical experience. Well, what? <laughs> you'd want that, wouldn't you? 
Well, one, one, would, one would expect so, Paul. One would really expect so. But as I alluded to before, uh, is that uh, it's the balance of, uh, of, uh, of, of the sex at the table and her immediate pre- uh, predecessor, uh, prior, to, sorry, prior to Keith Munch, predecessor was um, uh, Catherine Taylor. And, and, and uh, Catherine Taylor was equally inept at her task as, as was um, as Kirsty Hewlett. Well, I don't so, think uh, Mr. Manch spent time on ships either. Um... No, he was a fireman, uh, uh, a real estate salesman at some stage or other. Yeah, perfect. Uh, yeah, it was. A, a, I think he was president of, of, the, of the New Zealand Real Estate Institute, some, something like that. So, uh, yeah, a, a house salesman. Okay. Um, so, it, it, I mean, if this uh, hopefully never happen, happens again, but it, it sounds like things are just still as they were. Well, I, I, um, I, I, I hope not, because um, uh, as part of the, the ombudsman's um, um, findings, the, the uh, uh, he, Maritime Museum were most proactive, uh, and uh, I, I'm only because they've been forced to by the by the ombudsman's findings, and um, the advice that they that they gave then Maritime New Zealand reissued advice to uh, MBIE about seafarers, and um, the, the the renewed advice was was basically all we'd ever wanted. Uh, we weren't asking for any special favours. We just wanted to be treated the same as as, as everybody else. And and um, so the uh, I'm just trying to find the, the definition. Now this is where there was a significant meeting between um, seafarer representatives, uh, myself and and the captain who was uh, lodged a complaint with MBIE, our maritime New Zealand representatives, um, some shipping company representatives, uh, the, um, the couple of union representatives. And um, this is the advice that the outcome advice that was was sought, and I'll read it out to you. Sure. We recommend that in any future MIQ that any future MIQ system should provide a dedicated offline maritime allocation for all New Zealand seafarers returning home to New Zealand at the end of their contracts. This allocation should be available regardless of when and how often in any given year a New Zealand seafarer left to take up their international contract and then needed to return at the end of that contract. So well, there you go. That's so it's that is the, the result of the ombudsman's finding. So I, I do have to give credit to Maritime New Zealand that they finally picked the ball up and, and uh, came forward with, uh, with the correct advice. The big shame, of course, is that they, they didn't give that same advice 23 months earlier when, when it would have been valuable to those uh, New Zealand seafarers who were stranded overseas. So what are you going to do? Are you going to go back to sea or is that it? I know I'm uh, uh, I'm. I left New Zealand uh, to go back to work in, in uh, February uh, last year. So I've been uh, I've been working again uh, right. for the last uh, 14, 15 months. Um, I, I left New Zealand when the New Zealand and Australian borders were still closed due to COVID, but I had a pretty good inkling that they were going to open within the next couple of months. So then I uh, uh, joined an oil rig in Malaysia after uh. a month's quarantine up there. And then um, I, I signed off uh, I signed off that rig in, in April and, and got back to New Zealand then. So ever since then, I've been on a, a, a four-week on a roster, four-week on, four-week on roster, uh, flying to Australia to join join my rig uh, off, um, off the Northwest Shelf in, in West Australia. What's it like on a rig? It's just Groundhog Day. It's, it's a big rig. There's about 135 people on board. It's a 24-hour operation. Um, 
we're not drilling for oil. We're, we're drilling to uh, decommission 18 wells, uh, the, these wells that have had uh, uh, all the oil uh, pillaged from them, so they're no, no longer economically viable. And so we're closing them down and, and removing the, the seabed structure uh, to return the seabed to uh, its pristine original state. All right. Well, it's been really interesting chatting with you, Captain Kevin Judkin. Is there any last thing you want to say or anything we've missed that we need to mention before we end the chat? No, no not not really. Other than than um, you know, people have thanked me, and I've, I've, my 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 whiskey uh, uh, shelf has been expanded by, by several bottles of thanks for I assisted people get, getting home. Um, and uh, there's there's no there's no extraordinary people. There's just um, an extraordinary times. There's ordinary people trying to achieve extraordinary things. Nicely put. And that's that's what I'd like to be remembered for. Okay. Well, uh, uh, thanks again for giving us some time. Fascinating story and really uh, interesting to hear what happened in that part of the whole thing. Uh, like I say, we've heard from other sectors, people affected, and uh, this is the first time we've really got an insight into the maritime experience. So thank you. Thank, thank you, Paul. I appreciated your, your, your time and, your, and your, your level of questioning and understanding. It's been, been really good. RCR with Paul Brennan, Reality Check Radio.